<laughs> Live from New York, it's Sunday morning. <laughs> hey, Northern California, New Zealand, Italy. God damn, I love it. I, I just I just love that I get to talk. Wow, Portugal. All right. France, this is awesome. Florida. Hey, Florida. Uh, okay, so um, good. So we got some folks on board here and, uh, and everything's rolling. We're going to have to make this a... A tight show. I'm not going to be able to do the usual hour-long deal that I usually try to extend out here. Um, so, uh, okay, good. Um, anyway, so I want to. I'm ready to get right to any questions you guys have. This is the uh, weekly episode of Critical Q and A. Good morning, everybody. Um, very happy to be here. Make this work this week. I came to New York this weekend because we had a second-generation Scientology meetup. As people that I've not met before, Nathan Rich, for example, and his girlfriend came all the way from China. And, uh, and I met some other folks here uh, from New York or from around the country who came here just to meet up for the weekend. So it hasn't been, this is the first time that I've ever been to New York. Um, and it's been interesting. Uh, there are some good and some bad <laughs> about this place. I've only been here for, you know, 48 hours and I'm going back home later tonight, today. So I hope to catch a couple little things. Oh, wow. Uh, thank you very much for that contribution. Good morning. Uh, yeah, y'all ain't right. Wow, well, thank you. That's awesome. Uh, making my morning here. <laughs> okay, so, um, all right. So let's see here. Um, let's see if, uh, wow, Russia, Portugal, Philly, Iowa. All right. Um, so let's get to uh, your questions right away, and we'll just kind of go from there. Because um, Ludwig uh, Sebastian Whitman asks, did you have backlash from the Trump episode, which was very informative? And he's referring to my podcast that I posted yesterday. I posted, um, I've been, I did a lot of research over the last couple of weeks about Donald Trump and his election and his presidency. And I know that internationally, this is not necessarily something you guys are all super interested in. So I'm not going to spend a long time talking about this right now or answering this question. But I did get some interesting feedback already in the first 24 hours to that podcast by Trump supporters who clearly did not like the fact that I was um, saying that he was in legal trouble. But the facts are the facts. And, um, you know, the law are the laws are the law. And I thought I would talk about the actual timeline of it. And I did a lot of research to make sure that my facts were straight. And um, and I think it's a pretty good episode. There's a lot of data in it. It's a lot of talking <laughs> and a lot of, you know, me giving across facts. I wish I could have done a better job with it, actually, um, as far as maybe putting some graphics or something like that in it. But I thought, well, it's a podcast. It's supposed to be listened to. So if I try to make it rely on a bunch of graphic material, then it's not really a podcast and the audio listeners suffer as a result. So I, you know, mainly kept it to just, you know, me talking and stuff. So anyway, um, you know, it is what it is. I, it, politics is always divisive. I'm never going to get 100% agreement or even 50% agreement all the time. When I bring that up, and I totally understand that, but um, somebody asked me, Ruth, actually, that my former podcast mate asked me about Trump and, and what was going on with the legal issues with Michael Cohen and various people in Trump's world, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, these guys who are getting in legal trouble uh, and actually going to jail. What's the deal? Why is this important? So in trying to figure out how to answer that question for Ruth, 
you know, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of research on it to, to get an answer. And uh, that's what this week's podcast is. So, you know, if you're at all interested in that kind of thing, check it out. And if not, you know, I'll have another podcast next week. Uh, all right, let's see here. Um, <laughs> Niyakima asks, uh, have you ever thought of creating your own cult? <laughs> well, I do have the Sea Org. <laughs> People have said that my channel is like the Sea Org, um, with a C, right? Um, you know, I, my friends and I actually laugh about this because it would be so easy to go create my own new persona, you know, drop all this, go off and create some crazy persona and just run through the cult playbook 101 and, you know, the cult leader handbook and get a following and get people to listen to every crazy thing I have to say. And that speaks a little bit to, you know, some people's uh, gullibility out there. It speaks to whether I had a moral compass or not, because I'd have to basically shred my moral compass in order to do something like that. And I'm not ever going to do that. So, you know, it's just kind of a running joke with us that, oh, if we had no morals, boy, it sure would be easy to, you know, uh, make something like that happen. Um Cynthia asks, how do you feel about that lady on People magazine with her new book? Um, you know, I don't really know what to think. I uh, saw Tony Ortega's article yesterday where he mentioned that there were some unanswered questions from her story from that book and that there are things that don't quite seem right. But I, I don't know what to think about all that. I think it's always good, always good to keep Scientology's uh, name out there in a critical sense and that there is a lot of work being done right now in the big wide world, especially in the United States, about cults and, you know, and the destructive influence that they have. I think that's always good exposure. Um, so I applaud that. I'm very happy about that, even if I don't know any specifics about that particularly new story, um, you know, and whether it's, you know, how it how it sits in or, or fits into the context of the rest of us. I haven't looked into it enough yet. All right, let's see here. Hey, good morning, Virginia, Georgia, um, Germany. Awesome. Oh, good. Somebody says we're interested because Trump is a world disaster. I, I agree. And, uh, and the basic message of the podcast is that there is really legitimate legal trouble that he's in right now. I don't think that he's ever faced the kind of scrutiny and criticism and, and critical review of his uh, life that he's getting now. And it's well earned. Uh, it's not like Trump is uh, being a victim here at all. He he definitely did everything uh, to make this happen, you know. Uh, all right, let's see here. Um, if you could use a time machine, will you go back in time and have the guts to kill LRH? No. Uh, why would I do that? I I never ever endorse violence as a solution to problems. Uh, so, you know, no, I wouldn't do that. Um, I might go, if I could go back in time and influence things to change what Hubbard did, there are other ways I could do that. Uh, if I was back in time, I mean, it would not be difficult to expose Hubbard if I, you know, knowing what I know now, because uh, I've had the benefit of the internet. <laughs> I know all about that guy's life. And back then, that's what people didn't know. They didn't have access to that information. So, you know, it wouldn't be hard to cut him off at the knees. 
many, many other ways and stop the whole thing from happening if that was my goal. I wouldn't have to shoot the guy. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Okay, that's kind of a dumb question. Um, not the last one. This, this other one I'm going to skip over here. Uh, da, 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 da. Did you, okay, Ludwig asks again, did you visit the LRH Life Exhibition? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in, when I was on the RPF, I helped fix some of the LRH Life Exhibition. And this is the uh, first floor of the big 12-story Hollywood Guarantee Building in Hollywood. They have this museum basically set up against L. Ron Hubbard's life, and they tell you a whole series of lies. If you're ever interested in what the church, that the, what's... What it's officially called is the hagiography. That's the technical word for the church's biography of L. Ron Hubbard. And this is expressed through this museum that they put together with all these exhibits walking you through L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, the bullshit story of L. Ron Hubbard's life, according to Scientology and according to L. Ron Hubbard. So, uh, so yes, I have been to that exhibition. It is complete nonsense. Uh, in fact, we were talking about it last night. Somebody mentioned that... Um, that you know, if you were to do a, a, an hours count of how many hours it took L. Ron Hubbard to do this, and then do this, and then do this, and then do all these other things that they claim he did, that you know it would be impossible, absolutely impossible. The Church of Scientology claims Hubbard is fully professional in 21 fields, and you know, mariner, master mariner, and writer, and poet, and musician, and photographer, and filmmaker and uh, humanitarian and philosopher and, you know, this, that, the other thing. Uh, you know, screw all Ron Hubbard. It's, you know, so much of that is just based on total nonsense. Um, wow, there's a question. The other kangaroo asks me, how did you develop your moral compass? Well, I think like everybody else, I grew up with a certain set of values um, from my parents, uh, from society, from school. Um, these values were instilled in me that, you know, I, I, and they were greatly influenced by a lot of Scientology. There was a book called Miracles for Breakfast um, that was written by a Scientologist about Scientology. They used to do that. There were some books. This woman named Ruth Minchel wrote a couple books about Scientology, giving, um, talking about the technology of it or the methods of it. And specifically, she talked about uh, being a Scientology parent and raising her children with Scientology techniques. And this book was called Miracles for Breakfast. Well, I was a kid, I was a voracious reader. I loved reading and learning things. So I read the book. And part of it, there was a whole section in there about honesty and integrity and um, how do you deal with your children and how do your children relate to parents as far as um, not having withholds, not having things they feel that they have to not tell their parents about. And um, there's the creepy, super, super creepy part of Scientology where they're very invasive and you have no secrets, you have no right to any secrets, you have no right to a private life. But as a child, before I got into any of that, this is back in the 70s, just between me and my parents, the idea of honesty is the best policy, the idea of uh, if you do bad things or wrong things that, you know, maybe you should take responsibility for those things rather than try to actively hide them and lie about them. And I had, you know, certainly as a child, I, you know, stole money from my mom's purse and I told, you know, lies about this and that. And so learning about the concept of honesty and integrity and all that kind of stuff from that point of view, uh, 
did instill some real, you know, moral values in me about the um, benefits and, and necessity for, um, you know, being honest, being truthful, have, that there are consequences to our actions and that there are unintended consequences to our actions. I've talked about that a lot um, in terms of, you know, trying to use critical thinking for that reason. So, um, so that's, you know, that's how I developed my moral compass, good or bad, whatever, you know, I've tried to, over the years, pluck out the bad, nasty, creepy, weird stuff from, some, from the Scientology experience, but hold on to the good stuff, you know, because that's, I don't know, you know, it seems to be working out so far. Uh, Marshall Villager says, American patriotism is very much like a cult. It seems that many Americans will see the USA as inherently good and special in world history, despite many facts to the contrary. And I will uh, comment on that, that you are absolutely right. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say American patriotism is a cult, but it's certainly a very, very strong belief system. Uh, I don't think nationalism is unique to the United States, but I know that we, um, that American patriotism is a, is a significantly stronger nationalism than many other countries experience. I, I get that. And, um, and that does create its own system of flaws and flawed reasoning and, and blindness and us versus them thinking that's not necessarily healthy. Americans don't have a great attitude when it comes to the international community, when it comes to our place in the world, uh, our numbers. I mean, we're a population of about 309 million people which is not a large country compared to, say, India or China or, you know, how many folks are over in the Middle East. I mean, we're not the majority of the planet, but we act like we are and we act like our values are so much better than everybody else's when and often um, that conversation is had in ignorance of what other countries' cultures and backgrounds and experiences and heritages and moralities are all about. Um, you know, I did a podcast last week about human rights and the fact that in the United States, we don't recognize health care as a human right at all. Uh, that's kind of significant. And it's, it's quite a divergence from the rest of the world, for example. So um, I know a lot of Americans have a lot of stuff to say about that. And I'm not trying to deride the United States. I love my country. But, um, but you know, if, you're not, if you can't be critical about it, <laughs> then what's the point, you know, of having all these rights and freedoms if we can't you know, talk some smack about our own country. Uh, hey, Colorado Springs, Brazil. Um, <clears throat> Lena Sith Lady asks, who do you think took over your post after you left the SO? Um, well, nobody, uh, you know, the last job that I had was being a uh, Scientology Sea uh, Org missionaire. So I was going out doing projects uh, around the Western United States. Excuse me, working on the ideal orgs. And um, nobody took over that. You know, I had other jobs that I did in the Sea Org and, and other people just kind of plugged in when I was taken off uh, whatever the posts were that I was doing or transferred off. Um, but nobody, I, I don't know specifically who those people are. Um, I mean, it's really stuck with me. Do you have another? Um, okay, Y'all Ain't Right says the protest sign that got you to start thinking how much were you paid this week really stuck with me. Do you have another similar poster that also got through to you? Um, that's a good question. Um, I saw when I was in the Sea Org in Scientology, I saw protesters. I saw anonymous speaking out 
and dancing around outside. And, you know, the Xenu posters and the, you know, space aliens and stuff, that never, ever made a difference to me at all. I never really thought, because I had never been exposed to Xenu or, you know, the upper levels. And most Scientologists haven't been. So it doesn't really mean anything to them when you are dancing around outside their churches talking about space aliens. But the ones that asks, how much did you get paid? When was the last time you saw your mom? Uh, are you allowed to talk to your family? Um, when was the last time you had a day off? Those kind of questions really hit me. And uh, I wouldn't, they hit me so hard, I was sort of like, Oh, I really need to stop thinking about this. It, as a Sea Org member, watch, you know, seeing that, those were the kind of questions that, you know, hit me hard. Uh, hey, wow, the Ukraine. Hey, Helena. Um, let's see here. Um, Alexandra Ferrara asks, I just came across a podcast on narcissism awareness and she seems to be defending Trump. Can you comment on that? Cognitive dissonance? Well, I, I don't know which podcast you're referring to, but um, I, I guess not mine. Um, I don't know what to say. Uh, I will comment on the fact that I believe from my non-clinical, non-professional, but fairly well-educated point of view, that Donald Trump is a malignant narcissist. His behavior, his attitude, his speech, his mannerisms all indicate um, narcissism and, um, and, and like at a very deep level. Um, I think he's lived his life that way. I think that that is something you find in a lot of political leaders, but especially so, it's almost in an exaggerated sense with Donald Trump. I noted that very early on in his, in his campaign um, when he was starting to run. I investigated his background, you know, as we were doing the podcast, we were commenting on that. And I thought that's not, you know, that's not healthy for the United States to have somebody that at that level of narcissism in the White House. And it went, and so my, my, uh, my issue with Trump was not necessarily his politics, it was his personality. Um, okay, let's see what else we got here. Um... Niakima asks, were you ever offered money from DM to stop telling about Scientology? Well, I was, uh, oh, hey, a troll. Um, I was offered money from somebody. Oh, thank you. Um, again, for the, the super chat there, thank you. Um, I was offered money in an email exchange from somebody who claimed to be a Scientologist, who claimed to uh, state that the church would leave me alone if I stopped speaking out and if I shut down my channel. And they offered me an insultingly low amount of money <laughs> to do it. <laughs> Which I wouldn't, you know, I, I sort of had some back and forth with them playing along to see, you know, where was this going to go? And I don't know if it was legit or not. I can't speak to the validity of the offer, but it did happen. So, you know, I'm still here, guys. And I don't think I'm ever going to be uh, selling out my freedom of speech. Um, all right. Yes, my Star Trek Colorado shirt. This is the Colorado flag, by the way, guys. Uh, this symbol and this this stuff. This is the Colorado symbol. And it's Star Trek. That's <laughs> uh, my shirt this week. Um, 
Yes, Mark Villager talks about Trump supporters are a lot like a cult. It's more obvious, but the idea of American exceptionalism and it being a land of freedom seems impervious to factual criticisms that show the contrary. Uh, you're not wrong. I mean, there are people who unthinkingly uh, are patriotic to the to a fault. And I, you know, I like I said I love my country. I'm an American. I've always been an American. I've got an American point of view. There's no I, I can't have something different from that at this point. Um, but I do think some Americans have an unhealthy level of patriotism and an inability to criticize uh, our country. Um, all right, researcher Dreesen says, if communication is the universal solvent, why doesn't the church practice what they preach? Not sure if this was already answered. Um, because that, that is actually a point of hypocrisy with Scientology. That's one of the things about destructive cults, as you will find hypocrisy all over the place between their... The, how they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. This is common with destructive cults. Uh, the, the, the leader will preach love and tolerance and understanding, and that's what brings people to him. And, wow, the universal love or, you know, understanding, or can't we all just get along? But then the practices of the cult are harsh, authoritarian, dictatorial, uh, very controlling, that's the problem with destructive cults. That's, that's why we call them destructive. So Scientology does not walk the walk when it comes to uh, freedom of speech or the power to the freedom of, uh, of thought. You, you, you know, it's, the, it's Hubbard's or the highway. And they're convinced that now the way Scientologists think about this, if you're curious. Oh, thanks, Cynthia, for that super chat there. Um, the way Scientologists think about this is that they are in a frame of mind where they feel that some communication that comes their way is spiritually harmful and destructive to them. And that would include anything critical of Scientology, <laughs> which is ridiculous, but that's what they think, is that you know they can't hear this kind of stuff because it's going to harm them. And that is why they disconnect and go, oh, wow, I can't, you know, I can't listen to that. That's n theta. That's uh, that's bad. It's it's uh, it's contrary. So that's why they shut it out. Um, but it is a completely hypocritical position to their own, you know, the church's own creed. Um, all right, here I think LRH was technically a master mariner. You're you're right. Hubbard was a master mariner. Um, he did. He was licensed to captain you know, uh, many different kinds of vessels on, on different oceans. Uh, it's not to say that Hubbard wasn't, one to pro wasn't a professional in, in certain fields, but he certainly wasn't a very good photographer, for example. If you look at his pictures, they're, they're okay. You know, they're nothing like to write home about. Um, okay, let's see here. Trump would love to sec check people. Yes, he would. Um, yeah, nationalism, start a global conflict was national. Da, da, da. Thank you for um, just kind of going through the questions here. Um, oh, any idea when Aftermath returns? Orange Crush asks. Yes, I, I think November is what we're being told right now. It's, it's dependent. I, we found out here, and I can't say a whole lot about this right now, but I'm just... Letting you guys know it's it's it might be November, it might be later. It's kind of the show's all done, but it relies on a couple other things happening at A and E, so that's what we're waiting for. Um, hopefully sooner than later. Um, 
Oh, here's a good question. Um, Ludwig asked again. In the video with your wife, you said that sometimes you were discussing things in altered states of mind. What was the first time trying cannabis for you like? Um, it was very funny. I was texting with some friends. I went to a Denny's and was eating uh, some chili fries. And I got extremely fascinated by the chili fries. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And I found things uh, a lot funnier than I found them um, before that. <laughs> it was, And then, of course, my friends were laughing at me online and that... You know, they were like, oh, make a video. I was like, look, I might be high, but I'm not stupid, okay? I'm not I'm not going to do that. Uh, all right, let's see here. Um, Lynn Colley says, Chris, would you comment on the Colin Kaepernick phenomena? Sure, Kaepernick phenomena. Um, I very much support Colin and anybody's right to protest, um, and I believe in the cause of, um, the, of protesting systemic racism in the United States. I, I don't have a problem with that protest. I understand people's um, problem with that in terms of, well, he's on the job. I don't want to see it. I shouldn't have to. Well, th all that tells me is that the protest is doing exactly what it's supposed to. It's it's getting in some people's faces. And I understand that, some, that not everybody wants that in their life. I kind of go, well, all right, then, you know, ignore it. I mean, what's all right. It's a guy, literally a guy kneeling during the anthem during a football game. We don't even watch, who watches the anthem during a football game? Who has to see this? You don't have to watch it. Um, if you're bothered by it, I would invite you to perhaps look at the reason why it's happening. The whole thing about um, the protest being, a, you know, you're spitting on the flag, you're spitting on our nationalism, you're spitting on our country, on our troops, that's all bullshit. You know, that was just made up nonsense in order to try to shut down the protest. I don't agree with any of that. I, I don't think that that's what he was trying to do. I understand that Colin uh, Kaepernick has all kinds of personal flaws and his career is this and that. And, you know, some people think he's doing it for the intention or the money or something. I can't speak to his motives. Um, I can only speak to the original purpose of what he was said he was doing it for. And I agree with that. All the rest of it to me is just a bunch of noise. And, uh, and frankly, a lot of nonsense. We, we have a systemic racism problem in the United States. If you can't see that, they need to open their eyes because it exists. Statistically, you can show it. Culturally, you can show it. Anecdotally, you can show it. There's no question about it. Um, is it, you know, should we do something about that? Yeah, we should. And it starts with recognizing that there's a problem. And you're never going to solve a problem if you don't acknowledge the problem exists. That's how I look at it. I try not to get all into the hype and hysteria of it. I, you know, I get that some people's passions on this are insanely high. I don't really get that, but I, you know, I, I, you know, that's that's kind of where I stand on that. Um, let's see here. Um, moving on. Um, would you like to host your own show about cults and sex? Yeah, I, I do. It's my YouTube channel. <laughs> um, oh, this is a, okay. I'll tell you guys a funny story. Here's another question. Um, the Crackpot asks, speaking of cannabis, how long did it take for you to decide to try it? It took me a while. Um, I'll, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you guys a personal story. You guys are going to, this is fun. This is kind of funny. So I'm living in Colorado and my whole life, I had never done drugs ever. I mean, not illegal drugs. 
through high school. I had friends who, you know, smoked pot and stuff. And, um, and they uh, respected my, you know, not my unwillingness to do it. Excuse me. So I never had a lot of peer pressure on the subject. Then I got into Scientology, which is totally anti-drug. So when I moved to Colorado, the first thing on my mind was not, oh, let's go get some pot. My mom came out and visited me. Okay. And if you guys have seen my, my video interview with my mom, you know, my mom's pretty cool. So she comes out to visit and she got some edibles and she told me about it. And I was like, what, mom, what do you, how, you know, how could you, oh my God. And I was sort of in this whole faux outrage sort of thing. Right. My mom is pretty, she's pretty wild. She's well-traveled. She skydives. She, you know, zip lines. She does all kinds of stuff uh, for someone her age. It's, she's, she's pretty, pretty, uh, adventurous. And, um, uh, so I, started thinking about it after she left. She, you know, she did that and I was like, wow. And she told me about it and it wasn't really any big deal. She didn't get this big effect from it. But I started thinking, wait a minute, pot's legal in Colorado. I'm not breaking the law if I go try pot here. And I went, oh, that kind of puts a different spin on it. You know, so, um, so that's kind of what led me to go try it out. And, uh, and I did, and I, it's very relaxing. It's, uh, it's, um, and it's sometimes it makes things really funny and it, it's, it's very, it's very chilling, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a stress relief. Uh, and in some ways for me, um, I have some back pain and stuff too. So it also does provide a little bit of pain relief for me also. Uh, all right. Just kind of skipping through the, uh, um, Oh, Turd Ferguson is asking, is protest in the workplace disruptive to the labor they're being paid to perform? Is it causing the employer externalities? Is, are, are, these are meritorious questions not exclusive of one's rights. You're right. You're right. Those are good questions. I don't happen to think they apply to the time period of the national anthem. You know, if you're required to stand for the national anthem as part of your job, then we're talking a little bit of authoritarianism there. And I don't think that's right. I don't think any employer has the right to demand that you be patriotic or you don't get a job. Wh really? I thought this was America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, and the place where people had the right to express themselves and say what was on their minds, whether they're on the job or not. I think that's a more basic right. And, uh, and I think that's really important that we keep that in mind. Uh, because if you want to start enforcing your belief system on other people, we got a problem. Okay. Um, let's see here. Deborah Goldstein, you are definitely a left-wing nut job sealed to deal with Copernic. All right. Is that in relation to me? All right. Uh, let's see here. Chris, what, okay, so low-key goat asks, Chris, what do you tell people who insist that pot is a gateway drug? It's a slippery slope fallacy, but it can be hard to break through that preconceived notion. Yeah, I don't think the statistics support it. Um, you know, I don't think the facts are behind that. Uh, yes, there are people who have started with pot and then moved on to heavier drugs. Uh, so for some people, it could be a gateway drug. But to say to label it that way for as a universal truth, prove it, you know, beyond anecdotes. Prove it. That's what I would say. Convince me. 
I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to believe that it is just because it sounds like it makes sense that it's a gateway drug. I, I don't, I, it's certainly not acting like that for me. <laughs> uh, if you want anecdotes, you know. Uh, let's see here. Having some back and forth. Um, oh, some people are arguing about the Copernic thing. All right. Um, this is fascinating. I've never had I've never had commenters get into an argument with each other during a Q&A. That's cool. Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, Marshall Villager is making good points here, Deborah. I don't know what to say. Um, all right. Maureen Redford asks, is there a way to donate through Venmo, PayPal? Yes, there is. Um, on my channel, there is, uh, in every video I've ever posted in the comment section, there is a PayPal link. And you can click on that link. Again, it's in the comment section of every, or not in the comments, sorry, in the description section. Uh, this is the description section. This is the comment section. I love the way I use my hands to talk. So um, there's a PayPal link there. Uh, also, at the home page of my YouTube channel is a little blue PayPal button um, that you can click on that will take you to my About page where there is a link to my PayPal. Um, all right, let's see what else we got going on here. We're 34 minutes in, and we're answering some good questions here. Um, Niakima asks, what was your opinion about gay people policy, that they were sexual perverts and such? Yes, when I, I'm assuming, Niakima, that you're asking me about when I was in Scientology, what was my opinion about the uh, homosexuals or the gay community or LGBT? I was extremely homophobic as a Scientologist. No question about it, I was absolutely homophobic. And it was one of the first things I addressed when I got out of Scientology and educated myself on. Um, a lot of help from uh, George Takai, uh, who was doing a lot of social media work to bring education to people like me who were homophobic about homosexuals and, and the LGBTQ community and what that was about and how it works and how people learn to discover that about themselves. And that helped me a lot to shed the homophobia and realize that it was just L. Ron Hubbard's ravings and that I didn't have to believe that or follow that or accept any of that as true anymore. And I dropped that whole thing. And I am now very much not uh, homophobic anymore. Uh, let's see here. Turd, you're absolutely right. He says here, Cap has his rights, as do his employers, to decide he's no longer worth the investment. That's that is true. You know, if you're not if you're not doing your job, uh, protest aside, if you're just not doing your job or you're not doing your job well enough, an employer does have a right to not have to employ you anymore. Um, that's just a standalone piece of information that is that is true. Flint Reed asks, how low is pot on the tone scale? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, it, it, yeah, it's uh, it's very one-one. It's very covertly hostile. Uh, Patreon too, right? Yes, I have a link to my Patreon page. Um, there are, on again, every video I post has links to Patreon in the description section. Uh, or you can go to patreon.com slash Chris Shelton and find my page. Um, have you, okay, somebody, Ludwig is asking me, have you since heard the weird soundbite of Hubbard and the baby smashing routine? 
I do know. I do not know what you're referring to with that. Uh, let's see here. Morna McDonald asks, are you part of the Aftermath Foundation? Not officially, no. I endorse it. I uh, highly recommend that anybody who can contribute to the Aftermath Foundation. My friend uh, Aaron, who I'm, I'm here in New York with, uh, is officially, he's, he's actually the one who pretty much runs it on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, Mark and Claire Headley are on the board. There's other, you know, other folks on the board of directors who I'm all I'm friends with, but I'm not officially part of that group. Uh, let's see here. Um, drive by media. So, what did you say that was untrue? How did you feel about stuff? Oh, Cynthia asks, "How did you feel seeing the Statue of Liberty? Something, nothing." I I saw it from a distance. Uh, the first night we got here, I went over to, we went to Greenwich Village and I went out to, we went over to the Hudson River. So I kind of saw it from very far away. Um, you know, and I thought, I want to, I want to see if I can get closer to it. But, um, but you know, it's, it's that patriotic symbol of our country and what it stands for as a melting pot and, and place of sanctuary and, and security for people from all over the world. I, I am old enough to have bought into all that, that all of that, and um, and I want that to be the reflection of what the United States is to the rest of the world. I, re I really do. I've always had that concept of universality and acceptance and tolerance and and the melting pot sort of thing. Um, that's how I grew up. Those were the values that I had, and the Statue of Liberty symbolizes that to me. So that's kind of how I feel looking at it. Um, Let's see here. Um, can you play this on YouTube? Nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Uh, let's see here. All of the world's interested in going on about psychedelic drugs. It could be a genuine skeptic point of view. Has been yes. I just per uh, comments here. Speaking about drugs all over the world, there has been an interesting discussion going on about psychedelic drugs, and it could be that a genius skeptic point of view has been mostly missing so far, or a genuine skeptic point of view has been mostly missing so far. I agree with that. There are some very interesting discussions going on about psychedelics and their therapeutic or clinical value. Um, psilocybin, you know, very controlled. Oh, thanks, Loki. Thanks for that. Um, I am very interested in where some of those conversations are going and where some of that research is going on psychedelics. Um, I don't necessarily buy into the whole idea that there are that altered states of consciousness or altered states of mind or drug-induced trances are uh, some kind of window to the truth. I think that that could be a dangerous way of thinking. I think we don't know what that's all about yet at all. I think we have some very basic answers we need to get neurologically about what consciousness is and what thought is and what emotion is. We don't have any of that stuff figured out yet, and anybody who tells you that they do is lying. Um, there's still tons and tons of work to do on that topic, but I think that this research might help that along, and so I'm very interested in where that's going. Uh, let's see here. Um, Marshall Villager asks, Chris, was the USA ever a sanctuary for the oppressed people of the world? Or is that a myth independent of actual world history? No. No, it absolutely was. I mean, why do you think so many refugees come to the United States? I mean, if we didn't have quota systems and, and lockdowns and barriers to that at this point, which has been a problem for decades, um, 
So, but if you ask, was it ever a sanctuary? Yeah, it was. That's what this country was founded on. People were running away from oppression. I mean, that was real. That wasn't some fantasy historical fairy tale. That happened. And, um, and that was the tradition in which America was born. So, yeah, I believe that. You know, I, I've, that's what I've seen and read in history. Um, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of spiritual mumbo-jumbo mixed into the discussions about psychedelics. And I don't, I, I don't subscribe to any of that. I want, I want the science of it. That's what I want to see. Um, yes, uh, you know, Turd Ferguson mentions the U.S. took in a lot of Jews as the rest of the world turned them away following the Holocaust. That is true. Um, we also had that incident of turning them away. Also, we have to acknowledge in history that we have not always been good guys. Um, there's everywhere all the time. Um, you can highlight the bad so much so that you erase the good. I don't think that's healthy. You can push the good so much that you erase or, or you know, the bad or don't be, aren't critical anymore. That's not good either. So, you know, balance, that's, that's what's important. Um, hey, my two Markles, thank you for that super chat. Thank you very much for that uh, support there. Love it. Um, let's see here. Da, 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 da. Irish Flame of Famine. Yes, okay. I love these discussions. I love this. I love the fact that discussions are happening here during my Q&A amongst you guys. This is great. I've always been interested in um, creating some level of community on my channel and not just people commenting on my videos, but actually interacting with each other about the content. I think to me that's a, that's a bigger sign of success that I'm doing something right with my channel is that people are not just watching what I have to say, but are engaging with it and talking to each other about it. I love that. I really do. Uh, and I like it when people can get along and, and talk about these things. Um, or not get along, you know, <laughs> just to have at each other, I guess. I don't want, you know, I'm not, I'm not into a lot of weird, horrible, rude conflict, but I do like, you know, creating uh, fodder for discussion. Let's put it that way. All right. We are uh, 43 minutes into this. We're going to be wrapping up pretty soon. Um, see if there's any other key questions here that are coming. Guys, if you have anything else you want me to to answer now is the time to ask because I'm going to be wrapping up here in just a minute. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a storyline about a Scientology-esque group. The members have a greeting that they use only use with each other. Do Scientologists have a similar greeting? Mrs. Bramlett Jr. asks. Um, not as such, not some, you know, live long and prosper kind of greeting, you know. Um, a Scientology greeting might be... Um, you know, there might be, no, there really isn't. Now, people individually might, you know, might say certain things, but uh, no, Scientologists say, hey man, what's up? Just like everybody else. Um, all right, and quickly listen. Yes, uh, a little technically difficult with me going back and forth. I do, I do agree. How do you do, fellow Scientologists? Yes, exactly. Um, all right. And LOA Blue, here's my final answer for the day here. LOA Blue says, has anyone ever looked into Scientology's tax-exempt status again? No. <laughs> no, not really. They haven't. 
There's, um, there's efforts being made and efforts have been made to contact the IRS and get them to look into this. And I've talked, I've had some podcasts that I did on my Sensibly Speaking podcast with Jeffrey Augustine. That's the latest information I have about that. I think the last time I talked with Jeff was a couple months ago. Um, and I, I encourage you to watch it so you understand what's going on behind the scenes with the IRS and the structure of the IRS and the structure of our government in regards to how tax exemption would even be investigated or reviewed and who would do it. And that's really one of the biggest barriers we have to getting their tax exemption looked at is the people whose job it is to do that aren't really there. So, you know, you have to go up to the Secretary of the Treasury or the IRS commissioner and, you know, good luck with that. They have no motivation whatsoever to look into Scientology's tax exempt status right now. They just don't. So that's kind of where that's at. Uh, okay, good guys. All right, so I'm going to wrap it up here because uh, I've got to finish up my day. We're actually supposed to get out of this apartment here in just a few minutes. Uh, we This is an Airbnb we've been staying at here in New York. And uh, and then I'm going to be going to a brunch uh, with my former, with my second gen friends here and uh, having a good time in New York. Thank you very much for coming around and being part of my Q&A. You guys are awesome. And uh, I will... See you guys again soon. All right, bye-bye.